everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. everyone. Welcome back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We are super, super excited to have you joining us. And I want to just throw a caveat before we get going too deep here. If you're typically a listener of the podcast, we love you. Listen, please feel welcome to, but you may also want to think about viewing this one um, on the YouTube for, um, because Amanda's got some really great show and tell for us today. So she's going to talk about some things and she's got a lot of visuals. So that might be helpful to you. So um, if you're usually a listener, but you want to see, then check us out on um, YouTube. But I'm really excited to be back with the fabulous Amanda Hill. We remember her as the Waterline Warrior who schooled us recently on waterline testing and maintenance. And it was super, super helpful. And I want to say, if you missed that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen. Um, that was episode 98, so not too far back. So we're going to bridge the gap today. We're going to switch it up and talk about all things suction. So Amanda, welcome back. We are super glad to have you joining us today. I love your tagline for this conversation. Good suction sucks. Because it does. Good suction should suck. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. So I want to kind of just lay some foundation before we really get into this conversation, because I know we know this, but we may not actively think about this very often. You know, we've got to be mindful that biological contaminants are coming from three sources for us in our, in our practices. So we've got the ambient air, you know, obviously that air that's coming in through our, our air conditioning and our heating systems coming in from outside, Um, Our team members or ourselves coughing or sneezing. We've got that particle hang. So that's just kind of the ambient air, what's going on there. Then we've got our aerosol generating procedures, which we're all very familiar with. Our polishing, you know, air polishing, scaling, drilling, grinding, all those things that are happening that we are actually generating aerosols. And then thirdly, we've got those surfaces where all of those things fall. So the particle fall or where our instruments or saliva ejectors, whatever you've got going on, are touching. So you've got these three different areas that we're we're trying to be mindful of. Now, the ambient air, I want to get to a little bit later, um, but I want to talk about, obviously, aerosols because we're talking about suction today. Um, And I want to just lay the groundwork. The definition of an aerosol, according to the CDC, is a suspension of tiny particles or droplets in the air, um, such as dust, mists, or fumes. And these particles may be inhaled or absorbed by the skin and can be, and can sometimes cause adverse health effects for workers. And I know we established in our last conversation, and this was kind of mind blowing to me, that the aerosols that we get so concerned about in our operatories are actually coming predominantly more from our water lines versus patient saliva. 
Um, and I think that's a really important point to make as one of our suction goals is to catch as much of those aerosols and splatter that we're producing as possible, as well as the fluids pooling in the mouth. And we know, all of us know very well that COVID opened the doors to so many new options to manage aerosols. Specifically, I know for me, I have to say it was a catalyst for me to really master using my high speed or high velocity suction. Um, I've gotten really, really proficient at that. Um, and our practice also onboarded the isolate system to help add more protection and efficiency. Um, I think it's really important, especially for us hygienists, to understand that according to a study published in the British Dental Journal in December of 2000, dental aerosols produced from scaling produce the highest amount of aerosols for droplet transmission over other dental procedures like drilling or extractions or grinding, and that those aerosols have been reported to remain in the air anywhere from 30 minutes to three hours. So with all of that in mind, Amanda, will you help us understand the basics as we're thinking about all of these aerosols that we're kind of swimming in for hours every day? What is our goal when it comes to managing aerosols? So our, our first goal with aerosols is to try to contain them. And we contain them best by using our high volume evacuation suction. That is well-functioning. So, in fact, John Molinari came out with a study, John Molinari and Harold um, came out with a study back in 2004, and I missed it, clearly, that said that hygienists, yes, we are creating the most aerosols with our power scalers. Yeah, yes, we win. We win again. Like, uh, we are creating the most aerosols, and we should be using high volume evacuation. And I didn't ever hear that, see that, think about that. I definitely was still just using a saliva ejector. Um, then COVID happened and it was like, oh, wait, you want me to use what? How the heck? Like, how am I going to do that? I mean, I'm I'm a chicken wing as it is. And now I'm like a double chicken wing. I'm like, like a bucket of chicken wings. And you're right. Oh, my goodness. We started using the ISOVAC system as well. And who love it. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. like having the, de- it's like dental system that I'll never, ever have. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. But. <laughs> Point being this, sorry, back to my point, is that if we can control those aerosols, be it they be it they be aerosolized saliva, be it they be aerosolized dental unit water lines, no matter what they are, the goal is still to contain them, right? I mean, just from the fact that we give our patients like a facial, sometimes I'm like, okay, here comes your facial, right? no charge, right? <laughs> so if we can contain those in zone one, and what zone one looks like, it's like, draw a circle, you know, you can see me right now. And if you're just listening, like, I'm just like making sort of a circle around my face, including my nose, kind of everything that your mouth, your mask covers, you know, that's zone one. And that stays with your patient. When we get to zone two, that includes you, the clinician. And when we get to zone three, that's including your non-existent dental assistant, um, you know, that's out there. Cause that's, those are kind of how our zones work. So if we can contain them within the patient, then it's their own aerosols. You're containing the procedural water your patient's more comfortable. Um, and, and it's just overall a a better experience and, and a little bit jumping the shark a tiny bit. We're also not just controlling aerosols with our suction. We are also controlling droplets and spatter and droplets and spatter can without a doubt have bloodborne pathogens in them. So that study that I talked about from the Ohio state was testing aerosols, which are different than droplets and spatter. 
Um, so it's all about like the micron size and I'm not that super science nerdy that I can tell you all of those details, but the idea is that the aerosols stay in the air, droplets and spatter fall. You know, that's what's on your face shield. You know, that's what you feel hitting your forehead when you're not wearing a face shield and you feel the profi base. <laughs> you're like, oh, nice. That's on my forehead. Right. So those are our droplets and spatter. The HVE, our, our suction, is helping us control those droplets and spatter as well. And those can actually have some kind of potentially bloodborne pathogen in them. So in order to be able to, you know, now we're like, okay, I'm going to use my HVE. But the question is, is your vacuum up to that? The majority of offices, when, you know, your office designer came in once upon a time, be it five years ago, be it 35 years ago, really counted on the fact that the dentist's chairs would be using HVE and the hygiene chairs would be using flow speed suction. And so when they did the great math and said, this is the size vacuum that you need, more than likely your vacuum might not have the power that it needs for everybody to use HVE. Because just because it turns on doesn't mean it's doing what it's supposed to. And just because it sucks up your thumb, you know, like, you know, you put your thumb on it, like, is it on? Oh, oh. That actually isn't telling you if it's controlling your aerosols. All that's telling you is your vac is your vacuum on, but you don't know at what force it is. Um, it's a lot like like have you ever had your vacuum cleaner? Like you're vacuuming and like you're going over a thing. Like there's something on yes. your carpet and you've gone over it like 45 times and you're like, dude, why are you sucking it up? Right? Yes, for sure. Okay, yeah. So your vacuum cleaner is on, it's making the noise, right? It's sucking up some things because you hear it, but it's not getting all the things and something is impeding that air path. And what that typically is, is, well, it might have the vacuum. It might have the suck. It also has to have airflow at the same time, which is a little confusing. Um, there's actually a really great YouTube video with this vacuum salesman who explains airflow. And I can totally give you the link for it. I love it. It's called <laughs> Wilmer Sucks. And he totally explains airflow. And I play it often when I lecture, but I like an airflow to, have you ever opened a can of evaporated milk? And if you, and if you make one punch hole in it and then you start to pour it out, you know, it kind of drips out super slow, right. Yes. right? But then you open that top punch hole and it goes, right? Yes. You've invited air in and the airflow is coming through the can now so that it's able to now flow freely. It works the same way with our suction. So like I have a Dyson vacuum. And it tells me that I'm supposed to clean those filters yes. every month. Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> and that's actually to make the air. So the airflow will continue to be able to go. Once that it gets occluded, it'll still have vacuum, but the air can't come through to then pull things out. So you can actually get your airflow checked um, to find out how it's doing. And I actually had ours checked. It was pretty interesting. Um, I, uh, my air techniques rep actually came in, Robbie. Robbie, nicest guy in the universe, um, came in and tested our airflow. And what we found was that when you turned on just my suction, our airflow was okay. It was, we want airflow to be between 7.1 standard cubic feet per minute SCFM to like, ideally like 10.6. Okay. Somewhere in that range. Mine was like 7.2. Okay. So it was on like the, the bottom end of okay. But then as soon as we flipped on Karen's HVE, it plummeted down to five. So neither one of us was getting the airflow that we needed to actually control any kind of aerosols. And so immediately I was like, Robbie, what do I do? Do we need a new vacuum? And thankfully Robbie is um, 
maybe not the best salesman in the universe because he was like, no, we don't have to put in a new vacuum quite yet. Um, and he gave us a, like a, a whole SOP for what we needed to do to like, it's sort of like with our patients where, you know, you have that patient that just, I mean, this has that gingiva and you're like, okay, I'm going to give you three months. I'm going to give you three months of good home care, doing the things that I want you to do. And we're going to see how you look in three months. And that's sort of what Robbie did with, with me. Nice. You know, he was like, I'm going to give you three months of actually doing the things that I tell you to do. And then we're going to come back and we're going to retest your airflow. Um, and the cool thing is, is that Robbie actually didn't come back and retest my airflow. He actually gave me my own airflow meter. Oh, fancy. This is my very own airflow meter. And what you do is like, you just, I can put it right on my suction tubing. Yes, I have example suction tubing here for this. you all. I, I put it on my example suction tubing and turn it on. Clearly, I don't have an example vacuum. I wish I did. Um, and then I can see, you know, red, yellow, green, kind of where it is. So I was able to test it. So I did all the things that Robbie said, which I'll tell you about in a second. I'm just, I like keeping you in suspense. <laughs> I did all the things that Robbie said, and we went up from that 7.1 up to an 8.5. And then when I got Karen's on, we were kind of around the seven range. So we were doing pretty good. We definitely didn't need to run right out and buy a vacuum. At some point, I think that that's something that the office probably should do, but it didn't become an emergent thing that we needed to do right at early COVID when A, it was hard to get stuff and B, things right. were a little bit more expensive than they probably yes. should be. Yes. Um, so it bought us some time and it bought us an opportunity to create some really good habits. You know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, recommending an implant for somebody that has really bad home care. Like, let's get some good habits before we go there, right? Yes, like, let's teach sure. you how to take care of your stuff yes. first, yes. right? So it's kind of the same thing. So, so making sure that you have a vacuum that, that is actually even like you buy these cool HVE things, you buy a nice vac, you buy a, uh, a, uh, a, what are aerosol assist, you buy an ergo finger, you buy, you like whatever, whatever your jam is, whatever your HVE du jour tool is. But if your HVE is not up to it, you're not really, you're not sucking. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so call, call your rep and ask them to check your airflow. They might say, oh, they'll just test your vacuum. If they tested an HG in mercury, they're just testing vacuum. We want to test airflow in SCFM, standard, standard cubic feet per minute. Funny fact, in the US, we say that optimal is 7.1 for airflow. In Europe, they say 10.6. Interesting. Uh, they're right in Europe. I think we're wrong, but um, so anyway, so we so we we need to have that flow rate and we need to have that vacuum working well so that we are indeed controlling those aerosols, those droplets, that spatter. We're keeping our patient comfortable. You know, we're keeping less things off of our loops and our face shields and all that kind of stuff. And it's just better in general. It's better care, right? Initially, it's funny when I joined my current practice. I remember I walked in and they had the EMS airflow unit. Did I tell this story already? I might've told it in the last podcast. I tell it all the time because it's crazy. So I walk in, they have the EMS airflow, right? And I'm so psyched. I'm like, yeah, you guys have airflow. And, and, and Karen said, she's, Karen's like, oh, I don't like it. I don't use that thing. I'm like, what are you talking about, Karen? That's, that's like a really expensive machine. And that is like really good stuff. And she's like, it gives me a headache. And I was like, what, what do you mean it gives you a headache? And Karen and I kind of talked it through and it turned out Karen was using a saliva ejector. And so Karen wasn't controlling those, the, 
powders. Karen wasn't controlling those kind of things. So it's more than just aerosols. Oh my gosh, am I going to get COVID? Like this is more than that. I want you to think about the fact that, that, you know, all the things that we are putting into the air maybe don't need to be in your body. Well, and one thing I was going to say, you know, especially there's a lot of research showing that when we're polishing amalgams, that that's coming back up. Exactly. Yeah. So let's have some really good solid. And there are awesome studies out there. Uh, John Camisi did a great study. I highly recommend you look it up. John Camisi at the University Medical University Medical University of South Carolina, MUSC. Okay. So he did this great study where he compared a bunch of different um, HVE units, uh, HVE adapters, I guess we're going to call them, right? He did Isovac, he did Relief, he did this uh, aerosol away. He did this one prototype thing, which has never come to market. I keep looking for it and it, it hasn't come to market. He tested regular HVE and then he also tested an external vacuum because remember those became kind of the rage, yes. right? For a hot minute. Um, and so he tested them for aerosols. He tested them for spatter. And he tested them for noise, which is something we also don't think about. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but, but so it was really fascinating kind of what he, as he, he looked at these or as they, I shouldn't say he did all by himself. He was the lead author, but, and I know him now, like I met him through this study. Cause I was like, oh, I gotta learn about this. So um, anyway, so, but what they found was that, you know, some of these do a great job and some of these don't. Um, and so there's a little debate right now. John Molinari um, said that to be considered HVE must have an eight millimeter borehole. And what that means is the opening. Okay. This opening needs to be at least eight millimeters to be considered HVE. I've seen some conflicting studies. However, I will say that they were also product led studies, which sometimes screws my head. Yeah. Very hard to read studies because man, they could make me believe what they want me to believe. But they look pretty decent that some of these like mirrors, like the yes. new bird, for instance, um, has a mirror. It has all these like little dot holes. And so they, John Molinari would say that you can't add those up like one millimeter plus one plus one, you know, doesn't equal eight, like, you know, three level one mass doesn't equal a level three mass. Right. Right. They have some pretty compelling studies that show indeed they do control aerosols. I don't know. John Camisi's study showed without a doubt the relief is not controlling aerosol. So if that's like your HVE du jour, that one, you're not controlling aerosols. You're really, you're doing a great job controlling fluid, but you're not controlling aerosols. So something to think about. Um, so, sorry, I've totally jumped the shark. I'm all over the place, aren't I? <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, but so, so we want to make sure that our vacuum is up to the task first, because I think it, regardless of what product you pick, it doesn't matter if your vacuum right. isn't sucking. So we want good vacuum and we want good airflow. Then we want our patients to be comfortable, right? Which means your patient has to be comfortable and you have to be comfortable using it. Like if you're super awkward with whatever it is and you're like, they're like, I'm not comfortable, right? So we have to make sure that we are comfortable using it. You know, one thing I totally, I have, I have my show and tell of things and I forgot to get out is, is my Cordy's bracelet. Have you ever used a Cordy's bracelet? I haven't. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to dig in a bucket and find it really fast because it's amazing. But if you are using a hand, so there's hands-free suction and there's handheld suction. So what I have in my hand right now would be hand handheld, right? I got to use my hand to hold this. So let's attach a suction tube because why not have some show and tell here, right? 
So we attach a suction tube and then we're holding all of this weight. There's all this dead weight on us, right? And that's when you start to chicken wing because I'm going to yes. hold it up, right? Yeah, right. So you start to do some crazy things, which is bad for your body. And, and in the end, it, your patient actually isn't comfortable either. Um, I think we do it because we think we're helping our patient be comfortable. But anyway, the, the point being, one really good thing to try is a cord ease bracelet. And what that is, is, is this cool bracelet that has like a little clip on it. You can okay. put it around your, race, your wrist and it will actually hold the cord drag for you, which is really great. So if you're going to use a handheld one, I highly encourage you that you look up that cord ease, C-O-R-D-E-Z-E, cord ease bracelet. And they make them for, um, even for like your ultrasonic scaler, you can have one on your right hand and take that cord drag off. The cord drag actually makes a difference. It's kind of amazing when you try it. But, so we want to make sure our patients are comfortable. And so find a product that you're comfortable with that you like whether that be hands-free or handheld. Like I love the ones, like if you're going to go hand handheld, like I love the ones that have these wide kind of edges. They're really awesome. They do great for retraction, but then they're yeah, still nice. comfortable. Ah, nice. So good. Um, but then again, I do love the hands-free one. I mean, cause talk about ergonomics, then I'm not like, oh, right. Um, so those are great as well, but figure out what you're comfortable with. One huge thing is when we talk about suction is talking about, backflow. I can't have a suction conversation and not talk about backflow. Um, our patients love to make out with a suction. I had a patient today that I literally had to look away. Like it gets a little like, embarrassing. Do yeah. your thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little embarrassing. You're like, mm. yeah, <laughs> you know, you could just close it open. Right. Actually, I, I'm going to say, if you don't have a backflow preventer, a disposable backflow preventer in your lines, I don't even want your patient to close and open. I know it's such a habit for us and it's so helpful. I was just at my last hygiene visit. My hygienist kept going, okay, close. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm fine. I will swallow my own toxic saliva. Um, but one in four people will experience backflow. And what backflow is, is backflow, when we close our mouth on the suction, we cause more pressure in our mouth than the vacuum has. And so we actually pull the stuff back. It's like drinking a drink after a toddler has drank out of your straw, you know, and you're in that clear yes. glass and they drink and then you watch their food go back down into your drink, yep. right? That's backflow. That's your last patient. That's your last three patients. I don't even know. When they do that, you're pulling back what's ever in that suction tube. I mean, in that long, long suction tube, I'm pulling back and it's coming back into my mouth. So they do have products out there that have disposable backflow preventers. This is one, I'm holding one. This one happens to be by Dove Dental. This one actually is an entire adapter and it, in it, it has a disposable backflow preventer. And another company, SafeFlow, makes one that you can just pop on and it has like a little... It's, it's almost like your, um, what is, is that your esophagus? What is that that opens and closes right there? My brain isn't working, but I know, um, I know I, epiglottis. Well, you, epiglottis. Epiglottis. Thank you. Yes. Not esophagus, epiglottis, right? It's like your epiglottis, right? It goes open and closes. So it does that. It's like a little, but they make inline ones, but the, my concern with the inline ones is you don't know when they fail. At some point they will fail. So I really like the disposable ones. I'm sorry, mother earth, but sometimes backflow prevention. So we don't want our patients making out with the suction because it's, it's not good for them. Hey, Bulletproof Hygienists. We are excited to announce our 2023 Bulletproof Summit. 
Mark the date on your calendar and block off patient care because we're going to be in Las Vegas, August 11th and 12th at the Wynn Hotel. Registration is live. Get all the details and jump on the early bird specials by going to bulletproofsummit.com. This is our opportunity to connect with you and your team in person and grow exponentially together. We promise you don't want to miss it and we can't wait to see you there. Sign up today. Also kind of crazy, and this is something I didn't know until I started this suction journey, is that the IFUs of your suction adapter might say that you have to reprocess this thing, and it might say you have to do it between every patient. And have you ever taken apart your suction, cleaned it, and autoclaved it? Like the handle, the adapter part. No. So I decided when I read that, I decided to go into my office and do it. And it was so gross. Mm -hmm. And I literally had to soak them in like boiling water for hours just to like loosen up the gorilla glue of biofilm that had happened in these things because seriously think about it. I mean, they're right next to our patient's face, right? And stuff gets caught in them. We know how this works, right? And so um and so some so there's there's that there's IFUs out there, instructions for use out there that say that we're supposed to actually clean and autoclave these things. The only people doing it are is the VA, I think, because you know, they actually like have somebody that's in charge of all those. They actually read all the instructions for use and follow all the rules. So you can go with a product like Doves, which is a disposable one, which you can just pop it off and throw it away. And then you don't have to worry about reprocessing. But that's something to think about from a safety perspective. But we really want to make sure that when we're doing these aerosol generating procedures that we are using HVE. And the reason that is, is, you know, we talked about really wanting to capture that when we go with our saliva ejector, which we're so used to doing, which is what Karen was doing, why she didn't like the EMS airflow was because it's you're capturing maybe 38% of the aerosols when you're using a saliva ejector versus with an HVE, you're capturing a hundred if it's all working like it's supposed to be working. Right. Big difference. Yeah. For sure. That's yeah. And and so that's, again, for your patient, that's for you. That's for your whole office. That's for, you know, Nana who's in the waiting room, you know, that's for everybody. That's, that's kind of what's out there. So, so as far as what, Robbie, my good pal at Air Techniques told me to do to see if we could like oop up, oop up our vacuum. What's first he asked us, okay, how are you guys running your suction lines? And so I was like, hey team, we running our suction lines? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we do it once a week, maybe. And he's like, okay, hold the phone. He's like, okay, first off, you need to be doing it every single day. And then the big thing, and this is, this is, I think is the game was a game changer for us was he's like, and how are you doing it? And of course we were doing the bucket, you know, the bucket method. We mix up the stuff, whatever the dilution is, we mix it up. And, and then we do what I like to call the, the plunge and slurp, you know, you kind of, you know, kind of hold it on the top. Yeah. Have you ever been with somebody that's driving, that's learning how to drive stick shift? Where it's like, right? That's what you're doing to your vacuum when you're playing the plunge and slurp method. Your vacuum is like, is trying to like, it's like beer bonging, whatever like suction product you're putting in it. Like, right? So he recommended, Robbie, because Robbie worked for Air Techniques, he recommended to use their dispenser. I have a couple. Look, look at this. It's like good CE right now. So what a dispenser does is these cool, um, um, pitchers, I guess, 
for lack of a better word, that when you put on your suction adapter and you just kind of put it on there, it fits. And then you can actually walk away and go do stuff. You can finish your chart notes, right? You can go do things. Yeah. And, and the cool thing is, is both of these will stop at a certain point. This one will do two rooms. This one um, is by Young. This one will do three rooms and it'll stop when it's done enough for one room. Like you fill it, it'll go and it'll just stop because it has like tubing for it. So the idea is it brings up air and water at the same time instead of the plunge and slurp. And it actually then creates a vortex in the lines on the inside and actually cleans the inside of the lines as it's going up. And so it's actually cleaning the whole lines and starting to gunk out. I will tell you, once we started to do this faithfully, daily, uh, our suction traps got completely occluded within like, like days. So, you know, those fancy little suction traps that are in your chair, you know, that we're actually supposed to change. Yes. We change ours every Monday morning now. Um, and they're super cheap. Just change yes. them, okay? So anyway, these got completely included because what we were, we were actually starting to get the sludge out that had been building up in those lines because our weekly plunge and slurp wasn't working, right? So you want to make sure that you're also changing these and probably changing them weekly. If you're in your um, doctor's op and you guys are removing any amalgam, this trap actually needs to go in your hazardous waste not in the garbage. In your hygiene room, if it's just profi paste and that kind of stuff, it's fine to go into your garbage. Just keep that in mind. So yeah, so we want to run our lines. You want to make sure you're changing your trap. You want to make sure whatever you're using to run your lines is approved for suction lines. For the love of Pete, don't put any bleach in your suction lines. Bleach will then go to your amalgam separator it will mix up with the mercury. It will do really bad chemistry. And you want to talk about making bad aerosols. That actually could be deadly. So don't do that. No bleach. So making sure that you're using an appropriate cleaner. They have an EPA 2020 rule for um, for suction cleaners now. They must be pH balanced. Um, all of these kind of rules. So just make sure that it falls within those rules. Um, You want to make sure that it has like these chelating agents, which means like it can handle hard water and soft water and all that kind of stuff. So um, Monarch certainly makes one. Young makes one. Lots of companies make them. Just double check that it follows that EPA 2020 rule. So we started running our lines. We started using an atomizer. We started changing our traps. Um, Oh, and I checked our amalgam separator, which was um, chock full of profi paste. Even though they say only change the trap once a year, ours needed to be changed much sooner. Little hack is if you get a UV flashlight, like from Amazon, and you just stick it to the side, you can see where the sludge. Yeah, because it's hard to see, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, because it's like the sludge. You can't figure out what's going. So you put the little light on there. Like, oh, there's the line. Okay, it's it's good. Or, oh, it's full. So make sure that you're changing that out because that can affect all of this. All of this kind of affects that. So when you're running your lines... If you can, in a perfect, happy world where everything's working well, you're gonna change. You're gonna clean the chair that's the furthest from the suction line, and then come in to the closest to the vacuum. And the reason that is is it's sort of like sweeping your kitchen. You would never sweep closest to the door and then go to the farthest corner and then drag the stuff across what, where you've already swept. So if you can do that, try to do that. I know that Susie might not work on Wednesdays and whatever, and it's fine. It's fine, but just do your best. It's it's something to sort of think about, about making sure that that's good. Um, and then you might have, you probably have a big trap on your actual vacuum itself. 
that probably needs to be changed maybe every, maybe twice a month, maybe once a month, depends on your instructions for use, but check it. When I checked ours, it was again, completely occluded with sludge because nobody was changing it. So, so we started running our lines. We started using an atomizer. We changed our chair traps. We changed our big trap. And then the last thing that I did, and this is the one I'm super proud of because Robbie didn't tell me to do this. I just did this on my own. I changed out our suction tubing. And the reason I did that was because this is actually a piece of my slow speed suction tubing, okay? And when I push on it, I want you, like my finger is blanching, right? This is hard to push. This is what new tubing's like. And I would imagine in the in the chicken wing conversation that that hard one is a lot heavier to carry. <laughs> so heavy. And let me tell you, I can't see you oh, through God. this one because it's filled with stuff, right? And and certainly our wipes on this, you know, plastic and all that kind of stuff, it just hardens it over time. So I I changed out all of our slow speed suction and our high speed suction. And I did the high speed suction tubing with this new ultralight tubing. Lots of companies are making it now. So this one happens to be from a company called Aflex, A-F-L-E-X-X. But I think every major distributor now has an ultralight tubing. It kind of has some bumpies on the outside. But this stuff weighs almost nothing. It's so lightweight. And first, I only did it in the hygiene rooms. And then our assistant on the doctor side felt it. And she's like, why don't I get it? And I was like, okay, done. No problem. And so I changed out all of the tubing. We have four chairs. So that was four high-speed lines and and four slow-speed lines. And it cost $200 for tubing. And it took me two minutes. And like, And that was springing for the the ultralight tubing, which was way more expensive, way more. I mean, pretty relative, right? Um, and yeah, and it took me 10 minutes. I didn't have to bring in a tech. I just kind of popped things off and I felt like, I felt like Bob the Builder. I was like, hey, look at me, I changed the tubing. <laughs> so, but, but doing those things by starting to run lines, changing traps, changing out the tubing brought our airflow up and we could tell a huge difference in our high volume evacuation. It was actually sucking. It was doing the job and we didn't have to replace a vacuum, which my doctor sort of loves me for now, which is saying because I helped him. Um, so it's, it, it's not, it wasn't that hard to get kind of into that habit, but by doing that now, I know that I know my patients are safer. I know I'm safer. I know my entire team is safer. And I know that I don't have to clean as much off of my face shield, which is just handy. Yeah, that's always a good feeling. Right? Yeah, exactly. Because they're just kind of messy. So um, so yeah, so that's 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 kind of my recommendations for how we should best take care of our suction. Awesome. And I want to pick your brain a little bit on because you mentioned it, because I know this yeah. did really become kind of a thing, especially after COVID, on some of the the new extra oral machines yeah. that have come out, like the filtration systems, um, you know, that have all come out of that COVID situation. Like, and I know you said, you know, that uh there was that study that had come out. Yep. Are you finding that those are any of those beneficial? Have you seen any studies on incorporating any of those systems? So what John Camisi found in their study where they tested one um, and they tested it um, three inches from the patient's face. Okay. And they tested it six inches from the patient's face. So three inches is like that far, right? So here I am working, I'm doing my stuff and I got this thing. I should have like a funnel just so we can show this, but so when you're three inches from the patient's face, you're actually doing a, a pretty good job of controlling aerosols. 
the moment you get to six inches from their face, again, it's not very far, right? Right. right. You're actually creating more aerosols. Interesting. Yeah. You've actually like blown it up. It's like, it's like when you bring the vacuum, like you have a, you have a pile of dust and you just bring the vacuum close and then it just kind of all scatters. Yes. That's what you're doing. Um, not to mention they're not the quietest things in the universe. Yeah. And so now we're bringing in a whole nother, another podcast, a whole nother danger into our daily lives. I actually have, um, a significant hearing loss in my left ear. Um, and, and I call it my cavatron ear. I'm like, oh yeah, that's my cavatron ear. Right. <laughs> um, but we, many of us have that and you'll discover that. And I was never smart enough to wear hearing protection. It just wasn't a thing. It, it just never came up. So if you're really young and you're listening to this, get some hearing protection. Again, that's another, that's a whole different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy how uh, impactful hygiene is on our bodies. Yeah. Don't totally. even think about it. Yes. Now, when it comes to the HEPA filters, those are in a totally different class than the extra oral suctions. Um, and that's probably a whole different podcast when we would talk about like ambient, like HVAC and all that kind of stuff. Um, certainly there's some good science behind them. I am still sitting in the camp and this is just, this is the Amanda Hill opinion. So don't, you got it. (laughs) My opinion is, is it's just overkill. We are talking a lot. We're bringing in more and more things and my op is small enough and stop throwing things in my op. I'd much rather bring in something, a phase contrast microscope into my op than I would this giant HEPA filter. Um, I'm doing pretty good with my PPE. I'm using my HVE. I feel, I feel rather confident about that. So I don't think that I need another thing um, to feel safer, but um, you know, is your, is your office right next to uh, you know, an Italian restaurant that then the garlic smell is seeping through and, (laughs) That's a whole different story and you you, you can um, make that decision. But but those extra oral uh, vacuum units, I'm super curious about how many have just become clothes racks or are in people's like closets or I just think they get in the way. But well, and especially too, you know, if you're, because I don't think that they're meant to obviously replace like your HVE suction in the mouth. So if you're thinking three inches away, that gets really complicated. Right. Trying yeah. to work around. Talk about, again, talk about some ergonomics, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, kind of a hot mess. So, yeah. So I know that we talked, you know, I said at the beginning that there's, you know, three sources where we've got contaminants. And, you know, the the final source was the surface where these particles are falling. These, um, you know, splatter is falling or, you know, our instrument lays on or, you know, whatever. Yep. So I wanted to pick your brain as an added bonus, just because I know you are so passionate about hygiene being hygienic. And we do know that, um, you know, that our, those aerosols that did not get sucked up are falling onto our hard surfaces. I wanted to ask you your thoughts and findings on surface disinfection and specifically the wipes we use. Cause I know you've been doing a deep dive on those yourself. Um, and again, I know we could do a whole podcast on its yeah. own for that. And, and maybe that's coming down the pipes. <laughs> um, but will you kind of share just your top, like three to five thoughts on using yeah. disinfectant wipes in our practices, like how we can be most beneficial and safe. And I just want to say this because I am struggling with some of my team members when I walk by in our sterile area and I see the lid open on the wipes and it makes me insane. <laughs> And it's like, no matter how many times I say, you guys, this has to close close so that they stay moist. Like it's, yeah. So that was going to be my top tip. Close the gap. 
<laughs> I just submitted an article today. Did I do it this morning? I think I, did. I think I submitted it this morning um, to RDH Magazine. So it will be out in what it's February. It was due March 1st. So April, it'll be out in the May issue of RDH Magazine. Um, where I compared sort of all the major disinfectant wipes. So I've been on this like deep dive of disinfectant wipes. And it's funny because spoiler alert, the last line in the article is says, and for goodness sake, close the cap because a dry wipe won't kill anything. (laughs) So I'm with you. Close the cap. The other big things is you need to understand the kill time of your product. So recently my husband just had um, surgery on Friday. And so we were in the hospital and we went for his like pre-op visit and we had to go to like first the orthopedist and then we had to go to like cardiology and then we had to go to uh, x-ray. Anyway, each place we went to, they had a different brand of wipes. So I saw like Sandy cloth. I saw cavi wipes. I saw Birex. Like I'm like, dude, do people know the kill times on these? Like all of them are different. All of them work differently. Like, does anybody understand it? And, and the glorious thing, when we went in for the day of surgery, they actually had a, um, a canister of cavi wipes in his like area where he was going to get anesthesia and such. And it, they'd written on it in Sharpie, three minute kill time. And I was like, yeah, out you guys. So super important to understand what is the kill time of your product. And when I say kill time, we are looking at the TB kill time because TB is the hardest to kill. So that's our benchmark pathogen. If it kills TB, it will kill the other things that we need to kill. And so it means it needs to stay wet for that kill time. So if it's a three minute kill time, you might have to keep going back with wipes to keep it wet because it might dry. Anything with alcohol in it tends to dry a little bit on the faster side. And so you want to make sure you might have to go, like you might do one, first you might clean. First, don't forget the cleaning step. You have to clean. And a wipe doesn't, one wipe, the single wipe doesn't clean and disinfect. You clean with one wipe, we discard the wipe, we get a new wipe, then we disinfect. You must remove that bio burden first so that then the disinfectant can do its job. Like if you ever got an instrument out of a pack and it has like crusty, you know, stuff on it and like you flick it off and so that instrument's not sterile. Right. New right. process. Right. It's the same thing with our chair. Like if there's something left there and you think running your disinfectant over, it's going to miraculously burrow through the the burden. It won't, it can't do that. It's not capable. So understand that you need to clean one wipe. You need to disinfect maybe multiple wipes. If a wipe drops on the floor, it's dirty, throw it away. It doesn't just automatically sterilize the floor. So, um, and then make sure that you understand your kill time. And lastly, Make sure that it's compatible with the surface that you're using. And, and unfortunately, there is no perfect wipe. Right. Every, I mean, wipes are designed to kill cells. They're designed to destroy cells. They will, over time, destroy your equipment. It's, it's just, we haven't come up with something that is just, that doesn't do that yet. It, it, I've heard some rumors about some cool things. I've listened to some things. But anyway, not yet. So, try to pick the one that's the most compatible with what you're using, but don't get all wipe, wipe happy and be like, oh, so we're first, we're going to start with a peroxide one. And then we're going to go to a quat. And then we're going to go to a phenol. Mixing all of those different types of wipes actually will put your, your equipment at way more risk. Even mixing the same um, type of wipe, but like different formulation, even in the same brand, like there's Birex regular and there's Birex quat. Those are completely different products. And if you did use Birex regular and then you switch to Birex quat, 
without cleaning the surface with soap and water, some chemistry is going to happen because they've left residue. We talked about that with water lines, the same thing, same idea about shocking in between. So it's, we actually, and I, I hate to say this out loud because I know, I know, I, I know what my response would be. In, in a perfect world, we really should be washing down all of our equipment with soap and water like once a week. It would go a long way to saving our, for our equipment longevity. Now, I know what I'm saying out loud. Like, I know that you're like, uh-huh, yeah, you're hilarious. But without a doubt, if your wonderful sales rep comes in and says, hey, this new wipe's on sale and it's the greatest one ever, and you decide to switch wipes, you have have to wipe wash with soap and water before you bring in the new wipe. It could completely destroy your chair. You could come in the next day with your blue chair and all of a sudden your blue chair is like pink. So, um, so I, those are, I don't know. Those are the most things clearly like I can now, like there's like a two hour CE. I can now w- write about wipes, which I, now everybody's like a CE about wipes. That's fascinating. <laughs> I love it, but it's amazing what I learned. And, and I got to tell you, I, I was thinking like, I literally have all of these wipes see if I can pick up my computer. Look at that. I, I have it. them all sitting there. I have all these wipes sitting there, right? And initially I was like, oh yeah, I got all these wipes. Like I'm gonna clean my house. And now I'm like, I'm leaving all of those wipes sealed because this is, these are actually dangerous chemicals, everybody. Well, like, so I wanted, I wanted to have you duty gloves. Right. I wanted to back up and ask you, I want to say something about that in just a second, but I wanted to ask you when you sell, like if it's a three minute kill time, does that mean that it needs to be wet for three minutes? It's not that it has three minutes to dry and be done. It's got to stay wet for three minutes. Yep. That's what it's got to be there. It had the, 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 the stuff, the liquid has to be there to keep killing the bacteria. It's gotta, it's gotta break. It's gotta destroy those cells. walls. it needs to inactivate all of that stuff that's there. So yet it has to stay wet, but what I want to tell you is don't be like, okay, well then one minute, one minute only that's, we're going one minute because the faster your kill time, the more you could have surface compatibility issues. So there's kind of a sweet spot to be found. So I'm not going to tell you what that sweet spot is. You got to figure that out for yourself, but, but, and more product isn't necessarily better where I just said it needs to stay wet for three minutes. So you're like, fine, I'm just dumping the whole thing out. Right. That's like, like our patient's toothpaste, right? We tell them to use a pea size amount because, you know, more is not better. More makes a mess. More can be bad for your patient, right? And more is wasteful. Right. So you really need to figure it out and you're going to have to figure it out for yourself. I wish I could say, use this one. This is the best one. Everything works with this. But truthfully, these are hazardous chemicals. Even if the ones that tell you, there's some that tell you, you don't have to wear PPE when you wear them for the love of peat. Well, and that was going to be, yeah, that was my thing because I saw there was on one of the forums the other day, there was something about not wearing gloves, like touching them with your hands. And I was like, what? You're still dealing with bloodborne pathogens. You are turning your room over. You, you have to wear proper PPE. You're dealing with sharps, all those kind of things. Do not, do not think, oh, this one says I don't have to wear PPE. So now I can do a barehanded room turnover. Right. For the love of infection control. You think of the point of what these wipes the point of them, why Remember. we want to expose our bare skin to those toxic chemicals. So right. these things destroy cells. That's what they do. Let's have them not destroy the cells on right. any place. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's not fall into that trap. It, I know it, it sounds so sweet for marketing. I'm sure what those companies are coming after me now. They're going to be like, Amiga, stop. Um, yeah. But, but 
I know the idea is that it's supposed to say, oh, this is nicer. This is friendlier. Like, yes, I I get, I get the point. The idea is still, please wear your proper PPE. Yes. um, Yes. Because yeah. Yeah. And close the lid. And close the lid for the love of Pete, because a dry wipe, a dry wipe will not kill anything. No, it will not. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been very, very enlightening, very fun. I mean, I do love that you make this stuff fun. You really do. Um, Because you're right. So many times I think we are so embedded and ingrained in all the things we're doing. Like this is kind of the last thing on our mind. We're like, oh, I got to do that. So thank you for making that exciting and fun. We appreciate it. (laughs) Happy to. I'm happy to. I got to tell you, I can't tell you how excited I got about surface disinfectant wipes while I was like, I was like, no way. I didn't know that. No way. But I'd never thought about them before. I've been a hygienist for 27 years and never, ever thought about the wipe. You just grab the wipe and you do the Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm going to just put this out there. I know it's fine with you, but if you hear this and you have questions about suction line maintenance or, you know, some of the products that she mentioned, any of that, I know Amanda loves to talk about all of this. Um, and we'll put her link on the, um, on this podcast, but you can reach her at, at, at Amanda Hill, RDH at gmail.com. Um, she's also got a really great Facebook and, um, yeah, Facebook page so that you can kind of follow her. Cause I enjoy just watching her journey <laughs> on all of this. And I think it's safe to say that at some point we'll probably have a wipes podcast with Amanda. Okay. So. Okay. We can, <laughs> we can do the wipes too. forward to that, but, um, Amanda, thank you so much for your time today. We really do appreciate it. Um, And listeners, I hope you have appreciated this. Hopefully you had some fun watching us this time. Um, And if you haven't yet, come join us on our Mighty Network. It is free. It's just an um, app you download and then search Bulletproof Hygiene. It's a great place. It's a forum for us to just come ask questions and share thoughts and say, hey, I'm using this and I love it. You know, what are you using? Um, So if you haven't done that, do that. Come join our community because we are in this together. Thank you, Amanda, for uh, joining us. And we will see all the rest of you next time. Have a great week, everybody. Bye, Amanda. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hedging Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you. 